Jordan, hello. Hey, Rob. <laughs> How's it going? How's it going, man? You're a little under the weather, aren't you? Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm starting to feel a little bit better now. It's Wednesday, but man, it's from like Saturday to last night. I was just feeling the hurt. It's not feeling good. Just, just nasty yeah. cold. Yeah. No, it's unfortunate because we were hoping to get another episode out before today. But um, you got afflicted with this this kind of possible zombie outbreak thing, whatever's <laughs> going on with that. Hopefully yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but I got to say, Jordan, oh, by the way, someone wrote to me uh, after um, after we released the first episode of The Insurgents last week. Someone wrote to me and was like, hey, you should like introduce yourself at the beginning so we know who you are and who's talking. And I was no, like, oh, yeah. no, let's not do that. <laughs> we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't really do that. I know. I know. Whatever. Yeah. Maybe we should probably keep that in mind moving forward. But it we'll is consider it for uh, next episode. Rob Rousseau here. Oh, do I introduce myself now? That was the I was trying to kick to you to introduce. Oh, got it, got it. I'm Jordan Yule. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to oh boy. Thanks to everyone for tuning into episode two of the Insurgents. Uh I was really, really happy with the response to episode one. I thought it was really great. It was really positive uh feedback. People seem to really dig it. Um probably in more in spite of Ken Klippenstein than because of him, but we we are gonna try to do better on that front. But I I was really delighted. How did you feel about the launch uh, of the of the new show, Jordan? Yeah, that was that was really heartwarming. Um, a lot of good feedback, a lot of listens. People seem to enjoy it. Uh, thank you for listening. Because um, like, we 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 would be nothing without you all. So we really appreciate it. It seemed to get a ton of pickup. Uh, Chartable, the the site that tracks podcasts, said we did pretty well. So yeah, we're we're excited that people are listening and enjoying it. Uh, you know, tell your friends because we want to help lift up other independent media types, uh, cut through kind of the corporate media, legacy media noise in this election. Um, and yeah, just be of service to you and because in a progressive ecosystem, a rising tide lifts all boats. So we're really, really happy the way the first episode uh, was received. Thank you. Yes, we also launched the newsletter aspect of the show, which again, you can subscribe to everything over at uh, theinsurgents.substack.com. Um, and you can, of course, find the podcast at all, all the available podcast apps and all that good stuff. And speaking of, you know, progressive voices in independent media, we're actually really lucky this week to have on uh, Emma Vigeland to come on and talk about uh, the, the election, talk about the primary that took place last night. Um, I'm pretty excited. Oh, I know. She's so cool. That's going to be great. Yeah. It's cool that she agreed to come on and, and speak to us. I was surprised. <laughs> yeah first ken now her this is this is surreal yeah i know bizarre but there, there's a bunch of stuff to get to obviously uh with emma so why don't we just why don't we just kick to emma viglin right now we had a really great conversation uh and let's let's bring her on now let's do it So here we are uh, recording. It's the day after. It's the day after the New Hampshire primary. Uh, very happy to be speaking here with with Jordan and uh, Emma Vigland. Emma, how, how's it going? Hey guys, uh, you know it's it's going well. I'm uh, I was in overdrive with Iowa and New Hampshire, and I'm just starting to come down from that high slash manic energy. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and it, so there's some there's some really big stories. 
coming out of this primary last night that I'm really excited to dive into with you two. Obviously, the number one story um, that I think we need to start off with is the really strong performance of Mayor Pete in number two, the number two position (laughs) uh, in New Hampshire. Really, really good stuff from him. Um, that's, I mean, that means a lot, I think to his, his, the possibilities of his campaign and where that's possibly going, but obviously he's only, you know, he was a second place finish. Obviously it's not the main story coming out of New Hampshire, um, which to me, I think would be Amy Klobuchar, his really, really strong third place finish in, in New Hampshire. Huge. Really impressive stuff from Amy too. It's just a couple of, a couple of really exciting trends coming out of New Hampshire last night. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, do you realize that if Amy and uh, Pete were able to form some sort of Frankenstein-like creation between the two of mm. them, that they would have beat the person who came in first? Who's who's that, by the way? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, but that's right. I mean, obviously, I guess, you know, you can mention that, that uh, Bernie Sanders actually won the New Hampshire primary. But as Emma pointed out, uh, he only won by really not as much as people were maybe expecting. So it, when you think about it like that, it doesn't really count. Um, and, and as Emma pointed out, if you total up the votes of all the people who didn't win, it actually totals up to more than than uh, the amount that Bernie Sanders won the primary by. So again, eh, you know, he did win, I guess, technically on a technicality of winning more votes. But is it really that impressive? Really, I think what's more impressive is the 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 really strong third place finish for Klobuchar, which, you know, why, why would you want the, you know, the winning the New Hampshire primary tied around your neck, like a ball and chain, bringing you down when you can get the new, even better result, uh, which is coming in third. Well, exactly. And, and by the way, Rob, you know, you're putting my sarcasm to shame here. (laughs) And so who says, who says Canadians don't know sarcasm, right? Yeah. Well, no, but that's, that's the thing is that I do this kind of bit sometimes where I talk about like, like an oblivious uh, sort of liberal commentator, but it's beyond parody because this is really like what people were saying last night about this primary. Like it's really, you can't even make fun of it because it's, it's literally just word for word what people are actually uh, saying. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I've been, for some reason, I'm just like a magnet for Pete supporters. When I was flying to Iowa, the my whole plane was Pete supporters. Like, of course, his campaign gets all the seats on the one direct flight that goes there, which I was like treating myself uh, so I don't have to connect in 800 cities on my way to Des Moines. And then when I'm here at this hotel, it's all Pete supporters and they have MSNBC on in the like breakfast area. And so I had to subject myself to that. And I just, it is, blows my mind how much MSNBC hates Bernie Sanders and how much more they hate Bernie Sanders than CNN, who, like, let's be real, actually is the best of this horrific, you know, (laughs) troika of Fox News, MSNBC and CNN. And then, you know, they hate him more than Fox News, who has one line of attack, which is socialism. But like, Every single panelist is just telling their viewership, which is comprised of Democrats, which is why it makes it so much more insidious. They're just telling them that he's unelectable, dangerous, and would basically lead us to a Trump uh, presidency again, a second term, which is the number one driver behind voting uh, in this in this primary cycle. You know, that's going to be Bernie's biggest obstacle is convincing skeptical uh, older Democratic voters, people who basically have this PTSD 
from from uh, old school politics where they've been told over and over that a leftist can't actually win and going to have to convince them that he is electable against Trump and that this like right left paradigm, this spectrum that, uh, you know, the, the most pundits have everyone falling perfectly on some some part of that linear uh, spectrum, that that's not really that doesn't exist anymore. And it's all about if, if you're a populist, are you going to protect my interests or are you just an establishment hack? Uh, yeah, I think that's the one thing that a lot of people don't quite realize that, uh, especially pundits, because they're they're deeply out of touch. They look at things through a traditional political science lens, and they definitely haven't picked up on the new, like, just emerging trends and the way people identify with politicians over the past few years. Um, it's not purely ideological. And you referenced this earlier. Uh, if you were like, people are saying, well, if you comp- if you combine Pete and Amy's support, that's, first of all, this is not how we do elections. Second. There's no way you could you could like assume reasonably that they would all go to the other candidate if one took the lead. Like that's just not how people pe- people vote. Like there were second choice polls that showed people were going from Biden to Sanders. Well, that's not like that's not based on ideology. So we're seeing this like we're seeing data prove that this isn't like a reasonable way to uh, analyze politics. But pundits are still insisting that we're all in these firm, rigid ideological lanes. And that's just not true. Exactly. And, I, you know, I've experienced this. Mostly I experienced this at non-Bernie rallies where people have more fluidity in this sense. But I went to a Bernie event uh, at his Canvas launch, you know, now two days ago in, in, in New Hampshire. And I was just asking people what they thought about the different candidates. And I had two people who said, you know, my first choice is Bernie Sanders. Well, one person said first choice Bernie Sanders, second choice Klobuchar, third choice Buttigieg. And then another person who said who said that Bernie was she was deciding between Bernie and, and Buttigieg. And that's why she was at the event, like the day before the primary. Um, so people don't realize how much people are making decisions based on do I trust you to protect my interests? Do I like you? And it, like we're this isn't political science 101 at you know Vassar this is this is real life and people make voting decisions based on purely gut instinct a lot of times and for Bernie that's a huge advantage for him because everyone knows in their gut this guy's telling the truth and you know I, I think that is why it makes him a formidable general election candidate. Well, and as that that viral clip that was going around yesterday shows, I mean, you talked about how opposed to Sanders MSNBC has been and how kind of open they are about that. And we're seeing how that's having the opposite effect on some people. And they're saying, if you're so violently opposed to this guy, who, when I hear him talk, seems trustworthy and seems like he just is trying to fight for, you know... Um, uh, advantages for for kind of regular working people, it makes me trust him more, and it it it's it's interesting how much of a replay it is between um t- between 2016 and Trump and now. Not that there's anything similar with with Bernie and Trump's actual policies, but the way that uh, when you see this media establishment kind of laser focused in diminishing one person and not making them uh, the candidate. Uh, it just people have so little trust in the media and these huge media uh, conglomerates that it just makes these people seem more credible and more trustworthy. And it seems like MSNBC learned absolutely nothing from the rise of Trump and uh, it has, has just consistently failed to understand 
why people like Bernie and why he's popular and why they think he's trustworthy. Um, and that's why everything that they've tried to do so far has kind of backfired. Yeah. And even the parallels extend to, it is spooky. I would, I would agree with you, Rob, like obviously they're entirely different people, but Trump is a faux populist and, and Bernie is a real one. Um, but this is happening earlier in the election cycle, but even with Elizabeth Warren. So you can draw a comparison with her and Ted Cruz, which is, I'm so sorry, Elizabeth Warren, but you know, the, that she was someone who the establishment of the party largely detested, but they were like, well, at least she's not Bernie, or at least Cruz is not Trump. We can't have that. And so they, you sort of saw as all the other candidates fell in Trump's, you know, demolition path, that people were kind of getting behind Ted Cruz towards the end. And we saw sort of that happen uh, with with leaks saying Obama found Elizabeth Warren acceptable, all of those things. Um, she was sort of their last gasp to stop Sanders. And she's clearly, because of listening to those very advisors and, and that kind of establishment group think, and hiring those people failed miserably and is, you know, her, her campaign likely ended last night. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted, I did want to pivot to Warren here uh, because that I think is a really interesting story coming out of this primary. Um, it was a, a really terrible night for her, but also just, it seems like the, the culmination of several weeks of kind of inexplicable decisions. And, and I think just, her embracing this kind of establishment side, the, the consultant class, uh, bringing on kind of advisors from uh, previous campaigns that I think have have watered down her kind of ideological credibility. And then uh, last night you had this weird situation where she had this really kind of bad performance in like a neighboring state of New Hampshire, did not pick up a single delegate, and then spent the the, the speech that she gave going after Bernie Sanders and and kind of trying to kneecap him as much as possible and still kind of make this pitch that she's going to be the one that's going to unify everybody. Uh, but as we're seeing, it's it's just bizarre because the when she's not really performing this well in these elections, she's losing the credibility to be the candidate that people can unify around because she's not really like showing that she can pull in these these various groups these disparate groups and make them support her it's in fact the opposite's happening yeah i mean obviously i'm bummed about it right so as a well-known warren shill uh, <laughs> this this bum but like i just there I'll, I'll just a side tangent really quickly there's a problem with you know some of the incentive structure of of online you know progressive creators where the algorithm kind of favors can i curse on here feel free yeah right (laughs) shitting all over elizabeth warren um and talking about how she's a corporate dnc stooge all of this stuff which is just like i have you know progressive journalists messaging me like that just thanks for not falling for that because there's so many people in dc who know a little bit more and know you know activists behind the scenes that have worked for her were like she, she's not bernie sanders absolutely but she is a strong progressive and so i i just anyway i was frustrated by that but not to go off on a tangent there but but i i do think that that she made some extremely critical errors that 
she she shot herself in the foot like this was kind of hers to lose uh so she basically kicked the progressive base she hi- she got to the top and then all of these obama advisors flocked to her campaign she hired them and what do you know that was completely uh, coinciding with her downfall and then she started backtracking off medicare for all she started backtracking off of her plans and her progressive uh c- credentials and then was trying to do girl boss bullshit like oh i'm a woman look at me and amy you know it just and then of course the infamous decision to actually lean into the alleged whatever conversation with bernie sanders i mean it just awful mistakes over and over and she her campaign tanked she shot herself in the foot absolutely and it's just really a cautionary tale that you know and and ironically though her doing this perhaps paved the way for Bernie Sanders to be the nominee because a lot of the progressives on the fence just went back to Bernie. Yeah, I, I for the first several months of the election, uh, I would try to donate to both equally because I figured like, hey, if it's not Bernie, it definitely has to be Warren. Right. Like, And I didn't know, I mean, I wasn't like... It's pretty much like the only other acceptable option. Right, right. And I didn't know who was going to like go get ahead so it's like i want to i want to see a progressive in the white house i prefer bernie but you know if we don't get him it's got to be warren so i was chipping in here and there and trying to make it equal and, and trying to be equitable and promoting both but like man emma when they, like when you when you pointed to like how these establishment and clinton type consultants got on her campaign and shaped it in a similar way to 2016 it was just like there was just like incident after incident where I was like, no, nah, I can't do this anymore. I mean, it'd be great if if she is the alternative. It doesn't look like it's going to be like the case now. It looks like it's going to be Sanders, but it was just I cu- I couldn't even bring myself to do it because the way that she was just kind of trying to kneecap him, throwing barbs, it just it it was not it was not conducive to a cohesive, unifying progressive front, and that that's deeply disappointing um and it shows kind of what the exceptions and and choices people make when they get into tough situations when it uh you know when it advantages them that's just really disappointing yeah and that's one reason emma i was happy that you were able to come on to talk about this because i have noticed that you have taken a lot of flack i think unfairly for just kind of like supporting warren when she does something good which i think is something that anyone should be able to agree with um, and I also was just, I, I, I've, I've always been kind of like a partisan Bernie guy, but I've, I always have talked about the, the positive things that Warren brings to the table. Uh, I like what she has to offer. I was kind of saying months ago that I think a Bernie Warren ticket would be like a really strong winning, like that would be the unity ticket. Um, and like, you know, I think if the situation was reversed right now, I would still feel the same way. Um, but it doesn't seem like. Warren has much interest in, in like accepting the reality of what's happening with the campaign now and her actual chances to become the nominee, which are looking extremely slim, if not non-existent at this point. And if she actually, if she cared really about the like big structural change and all the things she's talking about, uh, I mean, the way she could still bring that about is by instead of attacking Sanders and trying to, uh, uh, slow him down as much as possible heading into the democratic convention to maybe lead to some kind of situation where she can still maybe become the, this unity candidate at a brokered convention. Uh, the way she could actually fight for that would be with jumping on the Bernie campaign now, um, and helping him fight for this kind of big change, because that would create, I think a really powerful electoral, uh, coalition. 
And she's been, as you mentioned, she's been framing, doing this kind of like uh, girl boss feminism thing, which has fallen flat, I think, for a lot of people and kind of trying to now tie herself to Amy's campaign, even though politically they have like nothing to do with one another. Um, but there's a ton of 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 real excitement on that level with Sanders campaign as well, with like the dynamic progressive women that are getting involved, like AOC and uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and uh, Jayapal. So, I mean, they, it seems like it, everything that Warren's been saying that she wants out of this race, I mean, the option is there still for her to still fight for all those things and be a part of a really powerful movement. Uh, but from her actions and her words over the last couple of weeks, it seems like that's not what her plan is. And it seems like she's going to try and stay in as long as possible, which is only going to hurt Bernie's chances. And it's only going to hurt the chances to actually pass a big, bold agenda like what she says that she wants. Yeah. So, look, I don't begrudge her staying in, in, until Super Tuesday. Um, I get it. But I think what you touched on there was. I just could not see Bernie Sanders doing these same line, same lines of attacks um, if he was in her position and was in fourth place. And and if he did, he uh, would be he would be getting universally condemned right now for it. Absolutely, right, right. But it, I, I, I I totally and you know he knows that. Um, and I, I think a lot of it is one ego, right? As much as she has great progressive instincts, in my view, she does have a bit of an ego, and she wants to. You know, it's burned. She was the front runner and now she's not. And it's all her fault, pretty much. And and secondly, she's it's a lot about who you surround yourself with. You know, Bernie Sanders has been maligned by the 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 D.C. class for kind of keeping his circle tight and keeping it uh, with, you know, Vermont progressives, people who were. Uh, activists and inspired by his 2016 campaign and aren't the traditional Washington types. But Warren is a case study in what happens when you do let those voices in. And not only did they dilute her message and make her, you know, give her a, a, a lot of issues with the progressive base, but they also tanked her campaign. So there was no advantage to doing so whatsoever. And so, yeah, I, I, People are saying she's going to endorse Klobuchar or Bloomberg on Twitter. It's just like, no, um, that's it's just that's the toxic, toxic stuff that I'm talking about. I think she still has a very good chance to endorse Bernie Sanders. So but I, I don't think it's going to come for a month or two. I'm, I'm really worried. I think Rob mentioned alluded to this earlier. I'm really worried. She hobbles into the convention and tries to make the case on a second ballot that she's the unity candidate. And it just I think all hell is going to break loose. Because then you look, you look back at how if she does this, you look back at how she might have pulled votes from Sanders the entire way, and just that, I mean, oh, if that happens, that's that's really self-serving. Oh my God! Well, then she's like full Daenerys at the end, like b- burning down the entire city to get victory or whatever. I mean, I don't know why I'm even referencing Is that. A Game dis- of Thrones, reference? disgusting piece of shit of a scene. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a. <laughs> I did. I didn't watch. Well, good because didn't miss much. Uh, it's yeah. Holy God, I can't get over it. Still, they just <laughs> this just the two fail boy creators just completely ruined the initial series, and I despise them with all of my might. Anyway. Well, no, but that I think that brings to something that I wanted to mention too, which is that she's pitching herself as the unity candidate. And last night in her speech, talking about Bernie, she's like, "Oh, you can't just kind of burn down everything." That was there previously. And she's kind of now, instead of talking about big structural change, she's talking about uniting kind of the two wings of the Democratic Party. 
Uh, but that's the fundamental difference between the two as well, between her and Bernie Sanders, is that he has no interest in unifying with his people. And he understands that in, in order to actually fight for the agenda, the agenda that he believes in, these people, like the Democratic establishment, the decision makers in the Democratic Party, have to be defeated and supplanted in order for any to have any hope of ever passing that. Uh, and that's why the whole the idea of of this like the uni- the unity candidate that's going to bring all these people together, uh, it's just it's a completely not it doesn't exist. You know, it's like the the democratic establishment has no no interest whatsoever in unifying uh, with Bernie Sanders or any of his supporters or or bringing that agenda on in any way. Uh, and so that's he's correctly identified that that's an obstacle to progress and not something that you have to kind of like uh, bring into your coalition. Right. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I. Look, I, I, I don't see any way that she could has a path forward. Um, New Hampshire, she needed to at least get second, and she got fourth. Um, we are kind of burying the Biden lead here, and also the Clobentum. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's. I mean, I, I like as much as Warren has tanked, Biden tanking. I just can't even get over it. Fourth and fifth in Iowa, and New Hampshire. Brutal. Jesus. Brutal. Joe, I, Joe, I think it's time to go home, my friend. It's time to go rest. Old, yeah, old buddy. I think so, too. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's a good effort. <laughs> I, I, I saw a stat last night. Biden has never finished higher than fourth <laughs> in any primary or caucus in 32 years of running for president. Unreal. That's bad. And I mean, dude, the nation is sending you a loud and clear message. After being vice president... Like, yeah. yeah, that's when you got like the most advantage that you possibly could. And that's that's an unbelievable stat. Well, and that's that's I, I do criticize Obama, too. But that is one thing that you can clearly see that he didn't want to get involved for that exact reason, because I think he saw even in 2016 how this was going to go. And I think it went pretty it has been going pretty much exactly as uh, as he predicted. Um, and that's it. It's like, uh, um I guess he's still going under the assumption that he's going to go into like states like South Carolina and then start to finally pick up some momentum. But, you know, if you're if you're someone who's been like supporting his candidacy, you know, with with money or fundraising or volunteering, I mean, you have to kind of be seeing the writing on the wall right now. Um, And I think I think there's a very good chance that he might just be done after after uh, after last night. I don't know if he's going to win a state in this primary. He won't. He won't. He'll, he, he, I think he hangs until South Carolina. Sorry, go ahead, Emma. No, no, no. I that, I just love your confidence in that because I kind of <laughs> share that. But I'm just I'm I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. What What's the folksy phrase I could say the, from Amy Klobuchar? Put Put the cart before the horse. There yeah, we go. Right. Right. Um. But yeah. So like, first of all. Buttigieg and Klobuchar are the two candidates who have benefited most from Iowa and New Hampshire being so goddamn white. Uh, and because they poll at like two and one percent, depending on the poll with black voters in the country. And when you look at Klobuchar's record and obviously Buttigieg's more uh, more public record as mayor of South Bend, it's warranted that they have zero appeal there. And just like, you can just tell by how they talk, like this is just white people porn (laughs) and really has no resonance outside of that. So Biden can maybe have a glimmer of hope in Nevada and South Carolina because of that, because he has stronger numbers with black and Latino Americans. But, you know, that's, that's not saying much. He could potentially win South Carolina, but Bernie's closing in there too. 
Well, and this is the thing that as much as this might still help Biden put something together, this is going to really benefit Bernie moving forward as well, too, right? Because people that got that's kind of the narrative about Iowa and New Hampshire was like, oh, he barely won. Like he barely scraped together uh, two wins here or, you know, people still still insisting to uh, uh, talk about the fake news that Pete won Iowa, which we, we all know is not true. Um, but actually, these are like the, the oldest and whitest states. And, and as you get further into this primary with more diverse states and with more young people voting, we saw his numbers in Iowa and New Hampshire with the, the like small percentage of people of color and young people. He just absolutely dominated among these groups. Um, and as you get to more states where there's more of these voters are there. I mean, that's he's only going to start to gain momentum and start to pull away even more. And these are places where like Mayor Pete has no recognition and really no chance at at putting the same kind of dent into into what Bernie's putting together. Yeah, Nevada is going to be really, really interesting because it's super diverse, uh, high Latino, uh, Latina voter population. And that's a that's a voter block that, you know, really likes Bernie. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, the new thing out in, in, in Las Vegas is the culinary union. If you saw that, the union is trying to whip votes against Sanders, uh, which is so fucking stupid. And they're kind of distorting the implications of Medicare for all. Uh, we'll see how much of an impact that has. But yeah, this Nevada is a state that's going to be generally more welcoming to Sanders and definitely more hostile to Pete and Amy. Yeah, and there are some <clears throat> unions that are that are using that talking point as well. And you saw in the debate, uh, Mayor Pete has tried to say he's, or I think it was Mayor Pete, say he was more al- aligned with the union representatives because, oh, they work so hard to secure health care. You know, everyone would have health care. I don't really care what happened in the past. Everyone would have health care. So it's it's just this like unbelievably short-sighted and and argument that could be dispelled with just an ounce of, of research. Well, it's the exact but same I argument that, that a- people have been employing about free college. Like, oh, so the people that paid for college, you're just going to have it free now? And how are they supposed to feel? Or, you know... Uh, you know what? Yeah, if you feel like shit about it, you're a fucking dick. Yeah. I don't really know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, Sorry. you're you're a bad person. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, so I think that's a great point. Um Jordan, just about how how uh, Nevada is going to be interesting. And it's also just a more working class state than specifically maybe New Hampshire. Um, and a lot of like the, the union representatives there are going to really affect the outcome. And uh, I think caucuses do favor Bernie Sanders, even though it was disastrous in Iowa. So I could definitely see Bernie winning there. I'm going to be on the ground there. Maybe get a and, different uh, app this time. Oh my god! Maybe maybe think of some. I, maybe not an app at all. Maybe just use no paper app? pencil, that kind of thing. Well, this just goes to show, right? The DNC is not interested in actual election integrity. God, I could not hear enough about how the Russians interfered in our elections. Yeah. But then, when it came to actually securing election integrity in Iowa and potentially in Nevada, which they've now scrapped that shadow app, thankfully. Um, but but. Uh, they they didn't really care as long as they were able to hand out cushy contracts to former Hillary Clinton employees because the toxic consulting culture of the DNC still remains. The culture that President Obama put in place, the culture that bankrupted the DNC so that they had to get bought out by Hillary Clinton. In the 2016 primary, Hillary Clinton was keeping the DNC's lights on when it was supposed to be a neutral <laughs> Uh, objective race between her and Bernie Sanders. So um, when when we're talking about, you know, the big 
not to use borrow this phrase, but big structural change for the Democratic National <laughs> Committee, uh, the, the there's still so much work to be done, and it's not like they've learned much. They want to still keep these institutions in place where they're burning the money that they have on hand on the things that don't help the integrity of the process, as we saw in Iowa. In fact, they're a huge hindrance to it. And they'd rather do that than, than actually look in the mirror. And so that's a long way of saying that we need a progressive president like Bernie Sanders to overhaul the systems of the Democratic Party in addition to all of the policy goals that he would be implementing. Uh, there's one thing I, ho- I was hoping to get your your opinion on, uh, on a, kind of a more like 10,000 foot view. So last night there was a clip. Uh, maybe you saw it, uh, Van Jones talking on CNN about Sanders and he just basically called out the media for ignoring him. He's like, he's pointing out Bernie has, uh, you know, multi-generational support. He's got an army of loyal donors. He's got people who are going out and knocking on doors for him. Uh, he's got a diverse base. Um, and, and he's, and Van Jones said, if anyone else had this, We'd be looking at him and say, this is our guy. And he said, but for whatever reason, we don't we talk about everybody but Bernie. And Emma, as someone who works in independent media and you see kind of the anti-progressive bias generally, um, I guess, could you talk a little bit about the importance of independent media, uh, what you see your role uh, as uh, in cutting through that noise, that kind of that corporate media noise uh, and what people should really understand about this election? when looking at it through a corporate media lens. And I'll just say before to, before you start that, when it comes to Van Jones, I mean, he used to be a Maoist, so he knows what the reason is. He knows the reason that they're not talking yeah. about Bernie Sanders uh, and would right. be otherwise. Yeah, I don't get what's happening with Van Jones. Like, <laughs> he, uh, he'll be, he'll make those cogent points, those awesome points, like you were referencing, Jordan, uh, on on air, and then he'll just say bullshit for the the rest of the time. I mean, I guess I know what's happened. He's making tons of money at CNN. Uh, so uh, yeah, the role of independent media, obviously it's, I think it's super important. I'm working as my dream job because I'm able to say what I think, but you know, also just, uh, do the, be in this industry because there aren't a lot of companies that are going to hire you to be able to speak your mind because you're supposed to be this robot. But as we see, in media like CNN and, and MSNBC, to a lesser extent, they're more open about their disdain for the progressive base, or say the New York Times even, when you're incentivized to be a robot or you're told that's what you need to do, one, they'll hire people who have that perspective of, of this, uh, that aligns with the center, and two, that the default position is that the center of both things is the equilibrium and what you're supposed to protect. Because having a perspective, they think, is just being on the left or the right. But a perspective that aligns with the center is still a perspective. So you're biased in ways that you don't even realize, and that's the insidious nature of it. And so it's this very toxic cycle, and they just think they're above it. When I think independent media figures, despite there being some some drawbacks to their you know, it being along partisan lines, and I get that, and I understand that there's a role that legacy media has, like the New York Times and Washington Post, which is why I think we need to be critical of them to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Um, 
while there are drawbacks, the fact that I'm able to be open about my perspective, the fact that my colleagues are, the fact that you people like you guys are, it's a huge advantage because people know where you stand and then they're able to assess what you're bringing to the table. But pretending that you're some computer that's just, you know, regurgitating facts like Nate Silver or whatever, that that, that doesn't help anyone. And it, it it's an arrogance that's... Uh, put in place and c- continuously reinforced by these institutions that think they're so awesome. It has been really, really interesting over the last few weeks as like the reality of Bernie winning the nomination has become more and more of like a real tangible thing that looks like a something that could actually happen. How more people in these media institutions have started to like wake up to that fact because they've been writing it off for so long. I mean, I think they always just assumed a lot of these these folks kind of always just assumed it was not a possibility just because of how, uh, you know, quote unquote, unelectable he is, even though, you know, the president of the United States is the host of The Apprentice. They still kind of like buy into this idea. Um, But especially too, a couple months ago after Bernie's heart attack, that's when I think a really a lot of people just said, okay, well, now for sure he's done and there's there's no point in even uh, uh, giving this any credence anymore. Uh, But the way he's responded from that. And, and and slowly kind of started to flip the polling over the last few weeks, uh, both on a national level and in these early primary states. All you, all of a sudden, you have people in the media starting, like Van Jones, starting to realize, like, oh wow, um, this might this might actually happen. And it's fascinating to see their reaction to that. And you mentioned Nate Silver; he's another one that last night seems like he's kind of coming around to the idea as well. And he was actually pushing back against the people that were pushing, they were talking about the narrative of Klobuchar winning because of her third place finish. And he was kind of being perplexed at all this. And it's, it's very, very fascinating seeing some of these entrenched uh, media people uh, start to like process this, this what's going on in different ways. It's, it's enjoyable to, to see it happen. I got to say. Yeah, and just to touch on Nate Silver quickly, like I'm not in the camp of leftists that thinks he's like insidious or really bad. I just think, you know, that numbers and polling, it's a data point. It's not the all be like the overlord of data of points about this election. You also have to have instincts and and uh, a, a gut feel for things. Like, you know, part of why I love working for Jank is he, I mean, he has just like a great gut about about politics, and I'd like to emulate that, you know, in my in my gut about things and what plays. And so, you know, I like to look at the numbers too. But what more media members need to have is just like an understanding of regular people. And when you're making millions of dollars and you're on cable news and you get your hair and makeup done, you have a producer for every segment. I'm literally my own producer. So it's just all me that you're seeing, right? Like then you can't, then you're just so insulated from the actual realities of the world. And um, yeah, like when you're, I'm, I'm staying in a best Western and comfort Inn, and I'm just like going out in my rental car to talk to people. It's a very different perspective than, you know, like what I'm saying about the cable news hosts and all that. 
Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say that that it just reinforces everything we were saying earlier, which is that part of the reason a lot of these these pundits and a lot of folks have missed this, have missed this very kind of historic movement that's building uh, is just because and the way this for this exact same reason that they missed Trump and they don't understand uh, what happened with that is that they just don't really seem to get what's going on in America. They don't know how uh, the sort of average everyday working person is getting squeezed and is just is is feels like they're kind of like treading water or, or getting pulled under, um, and that when the people so many people are feeling like that, they they respond to people that actually are talking to them, and uh, you know Trump was obviously the kind of like used car salesman version of that, and is you know is obviously a con man and a liar, uh, but I think that's why he was able to build a build a kind of a movement uh, in the first place. Um, also, because a lot of the people that I'm talking about are just are completely checked out of the political process and just don't trust anyone and don't really participate in it. Uh, but that's the exact same reason that why Bernie is, is building the movement that he's building is because he's speaking to that kind of uh, uh, economic pain that people are under. And it's just something that people uh, in if you have a great six figure uh, media job, it's just something you don't really fundamentally understand about what's going on in the country that and it makes them like not able to really properly assess these, these big political shifts that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, I don't know how you change that besides just building up independent media, but God, there's so much, so many structural issues, like, you know, a lot of what I do too, you know, it goes on YouTube and Facebook and the ad revenue from that, it's pretty stilted and in favor of the institutions. Um, I will say this without, you know, pissing anybody off. It's in favor of like Google and Facebook than more so than us, right? And Facebook just changes its algorithm like all the time <laughs> and we just have to adapt. So like there, that's another ish obstacle that like independent media has that these big corporate um, institutions don't because we're at the whim of another big other big corporate institutions for much of you know some some revenue so like there's just so many obstacles for regular you know scrappy independent media so emma i know you have to go soon uh so we'll let you go soon I guess before before you have to sign off here, um, where do you see like you know where do you see the rest of this race kind of shaking out? We've we've touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, you did mention the club momentum earlier, which is, I think is something we can touch on. Although I saw like a, an Amy Klobuchar advisor gave like an official statement that it's actually not club momentum, and I think they're saying that's momentum, but that's that's not working for me. I think it's definitely club momentum. That's what I'm sticking with. Fake news there. <laughs> Uh, but I think, you know, as much as people have tried to hype up her third place finish last night, uh, it is going to lead to a lot more scrutiny that I think she's kind of managed to avoid. Um, like, you know, I I have kind of been open and joked about the fact that I, I kind of like Klobuchar and find her charming, even though politically I think that she's like uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty abhorrent. Uh, and also there's some there's some really kind of troubling stuff in her past uh, as a prosecutor. Um, that's going to start to come out soon now that she's getting more of a profile. There's the whole story about how she like was abusive to her staff, which like, I guess just everyone just is not talking about for some reason, which would probably be disqualifying for a lot of other people. Um, do you think she's going to make any impact on this race moving forward or, or what, what do you think? What do you see happening? So I underestimated her 
um, for, for a variety of reasons. It's not like she oozes charisma. Right. And, uh, you know, my Anna, my coworker and friend was, you know, kind of saying like, oh, she's she she comes off as salty. And I kind of like that. And it got me thinking, you know, I, I think that her, she actually is authentic and in her own specific way. So kind of what you were saying, Rob, you 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 like her, even though you don't really agree with her politics. I think part of it is because she's upfront about her politics, um, even though I, I, I did ask her how she made one, I, I was in a press gaggle and I asked her, how do you plan to make headway running as, as a moderate, uh, you know, when Medicare for all and the Green New Deal are polling so well with the base and are over 50%, all of that. And she got a little pissed off and was like, I'm, I'm a progressive in my own way. So, uh, but for the most part, she does, she does embrace it, um, embrace her more moderate stances. And, and that's why her, her voters like her. And so that's a lot more solid uh, of a base of support than, say, Joe Biden. When I talk to their his supporters, they're just like, oh, he's been through so much and Obama likes him. There's no policy-based reason. Buttigieg, it's a little bit more like he's young, and but in fresh perspective. And then they'll list some policy position that literally everyone has, like, like gun control or something like that. But um, – but, Klobuchar, why I think maybe she might be sneak, hang around a sneaky amount is because she, the, the, the reason people like her is based really in her policies in her, or in her politics more so. Um, the fact that she is a moderate and they like that about her. And so that is more substantive than any of the other, uh, more, further right candidates uh, as opposed to bernie sanders yeah well it, just, it shows how like beaten down there's like a large portion of the democratic constituency is um from just the last several decades of being told that like none of these big things are possible you know we can't really ever fight for anything too too big or too the error any of these kind of big changes because we just lose right. uh so they're just kind of like come around to believing that they just deserve nothing they deserve nothing nothing's ever going to get better and so they respond to when someone's like yeah sorry you know i would like to fight for those things but sorry and unfortunately it's not possible they're like yeah that's uh and, she's being authentic and i believe her now and i'll also <laughs> add too that she i'll also add that she um so the, the, like those disaffected voters that you're talking about typically older voters who are terrified of trump winning again um and that's really their driving force also like her because they think she's from the midwest that they think she's going to win minnesota which like i'd argue the democrats have a great chance of winning no matter who runs real runs really but i think with bernie sanders too but they think that because they, they, Bernie's too far left and, you know, he could never win a general election, they still have are, – are thinking along that left-right paradigm. Klobuchar is that kind of candidate that can – you know, is, is the moderate, is open about it, and is also from the Midwest as if, like, geographic leanings really mean much anymore. But that's, those are, that's the old-school thinking that dominates her base. We know you've got a hard stop, uh, so we want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was a great time. Um, yeah, it's uh, that sounded sarcastic. I did not mean it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it thanks. Was a great time. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was... That was Emma Viglin. That was, that was tremendous. That was really good. She's, she's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much to Emma for coming on the program. 
and uh, helping us break this stuff down. Uh, we didn't even get to everything we, we, you know, I had written down in the notes here for this episode. Um, uh, and I guess there's going to be another time, but we didn't really even mention uh, the looming threat of uh, Mike Bloomberg and a lot of the stuff that broke this week about his his comments, like uh, fully endorsing racial profiling and saying that it's good and that he likes it. Um, <laughs> a whole bunch of big stories uh, broke this week about that that we didn't really get to even mention. Yeah, maybe foreshadowing for a future episode, but the Bloomberg momentum and artificial momentum uh, and astroturfing of his campaign is something we really need to be mindful of because he is buying support from people with uh, followings, what they call micro-influencers, which is like 10,000 followers to 100,000 followers, and getting them to post content on his behalf and support him. Uh, and, and with that comes, you know, a lot of erasure of his past record. And imagine if literally anybody else in the race had the same record on civil rights, uh, human rights, um, police accountability that Bloomberg had, and they'd be calling for their heads. But because this guy's just buying his way into every room, onto every stage, and buying people's support, and buy, like basically bribing the DNC into changing the rules to get on the debate stage, everyone's kind of turning a blind eye to it. Uh, it's because they ultimately don't want Sanders, um, and they're willing to turn a blind eye to this atrocious record and how New York City police treated black and brown people in New York under his watch. They're turning a blind eye to it because they don't like Sanders. And that really shows, at the end of the day, how much people use identity politics as a cudgel to beat back progressive policies and leftist policies. And they don't actually fucking care about intersectionality. Because right now is a prime example. This should alarm everybody. This guy is a fucking racist. Yeah, and many, many stories out there also about him creating a like misogynistic and toxic workplace environment for women. Um, which has he's has many women have signed NDAs that apparently can't talk about this, but this is like a common kind of a common secret uh, kind of stuff. And again, just not even really being talked about. And um, it's it's really shocking when you see the figures uh, showing how much he's spent on uh, advertisements just so far since entering the race, just an astronomical amount of money. And then you can look right over at the polling and you can see as the more he spends, the more he's he's getting this uh, this big bump in national polling. Uh, and that's going to be, I think, after Super Tuesday in this election, that's going to be the big story of this election is whether it's going to I think I believe it's going to come down to basically a two man race between Bernie and Mike Bloomberg, who doesn't even I'm not even sure if he's planning to try and win the nomination outright but i really just think that he's trying to spend as much as he can to make sure that bernie sanders does not make it to the uh democratic convention um with a majority of of delegates that would allow him to uh become the the nominee in the on the first ballot and as we mentioned last week that is going to lead to an absolute uh nightmarish clusterfuck that i don't think anyone involved has any idea of what that's going to mean uh but this is i mean so we didn't mention this much today but this is going to be an ongoing story that we're going to be talking about a lot in the coming weeks and months definitely right oh yeah we'll be uh keeping an eye on him for sure <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also not even mention we didn't even get around <laughs> to mentioning the like the turn that the whole uh, Trump investigation was taking with like the Trump Justice Department. Oh basically, shit! Basically, yeah. uh, overriding the 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 punishment for Roger Stone and and people resigning on mass there, just like really kind of like an autocratic, uh, like a further lurch to that that kind of like auto, scary autocratic uh, place that people are always kind of uh, fearful of with Trump. 
Um, <laughs> didn't even get around to mentioning that also, but that's something that probably people should be, keep an eye on, I guess, maybe a little bit also. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, we could do another episode on that too. This is, it's been quite a week and it's only Wednesday. Yeah. Well, and it just goes to show that, you know, obviously Trump is, there's kind of, I think people have known this for a long time, but I think people are really beginning to see now that the Republican party just completely lawless. Uh, obviously Trump is just incredibly corrupt, uh, and just kind of trying to position himself completely above the law. The Republican party is completely 100% okay with it. And I think if you're, if you're been paying attention, you've realized this for quite some time, but now it's becoming more and more apparent. And, um, as, as scary as that is probably for Americans and for people that want to do something about that, I think really what you have to do is to defeat Trump, uh, is to, I think I, I think you I said Trump, said Trump uh, wow, got him uh, <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> uh, it's just, that's because my brain is being completely broken by, uh, by online discourse. Uh, but I think if you're really scared, if you find that scary and you want to get rid of Trump, the best and, uh, the best way to do that is to defeat him in a general election. And that's exactly why, uh, people are so passionate about this, especially if you really believe as I do, I'll admit that Bernie Sanders is, I think in the best position to actually defeat Trump. Um, I just wanted to mention this because I think people say like, oh, people that are just talking about the election, you don't care about all this other uh, criminality that's taking place. And it's not a matter of not caring. It's just the fact that the only, really the only way to deal with this, because obviously uh, it's not nothing is going to of consequence is going to really happen as long as Trump is in power and the Republican Party is just completely going along with whatever he wants. Uh, if you really care about that kind of stuff, uh, you need to uh, defeat him in a general election. And Bernie Sanders is the one that's in the best position to do that. More and more people are saying this. You are hearing it more and more. <laughs> I'm hearing it from voters, too. Yeah. It seems like a lot of them are starting to realize this as well. And kind of interesting. <laughs> when he keeps winning all these elections, it kind of punctures this unelectable argument that I keep hearing about Bernie Sanders. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird how that works. Uh, so we have plenty of stuff to cover in the in the coming weeks and months. I just wanted to touch on a couple of these things very, very briefly. Uh, but again, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, you can find the podcast on all the available podcast apps. Uh, and I, I'm imploring you, please, if you like the show, uh, rate and review the show on uh, Apple Podcasts. It's really, really helpful. It really helps uh, more people discover the show. So if you enjoy the, the program, uh, make sure to leave a rating and a review of that uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can also find the uh, the newsletter at theinsurgents.substack.com. Uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to that as well. Jordan, you have anything else? I'm trying to like talk as much as possible. So you don't like kill yourself by oh, <laughs> going into a, it, man. A uncontrollable coughing spasm. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I'm just, just downing tea. Uh, no, yeah, you, you, you hit it all. Um, thanks to the people who already left reviews. I was on iTunes the other yeah, day. I was and very it, surprised it had, and happy by had, that. Yeah. There's already like 20 some. So thank you guys. That's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we really, really appreciate everyone that that listens and and read the newsletter and is is uh, is excited about this project. We're excited about it too. So uh, we'll be back soon. We'll be back with another episode uh, soon. And uh, until then, that's all. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>